knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Going back to my roots and enjoying the best winter this summer. The pros and cons of fishing in El Nino. Get ready for pre-pod and happy bait. And a few reasons why we're losing our fight for clean water. All this week on The Real Guy Podcast. Clear the airwaves. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. This is Captain Jeff, and welcome to the 233rd episode of The Real Guy Podcast. It's hard for me to believe that summer's already over. It's like the second week in August. My kid's going back to school next week. We're done with all our summer vacations. But the number one indicator that the summer's over is that the pre-pot action is in full effect down here on Fort Lauderdale Beach and up and down on the east, east and west coast. Now, if you don't know what pre-pod is, let me try to explain it to you real quickly. A lot of the people that have been in the audience for a long period of time understand pre-pod very well. But during the summer, we have what we call the pre-pod bait action. And this is when the white bait, it can be all sorts of different kinds of white bait, pilchards, all sorts of different herring, different types of sardines. Uh, This type of bait accumulates along the coastline. Both the east and west coast, as far up as Jacksonville, as far as down as Miami. And there's just huge schools of small white bait. Um, And this is what we call pre-pod, because this shows up during the summer before the big bait migration that happens in September and October. During pre-pod action, the surf fishing is excellent. And I don't care where you are, um, I think probably the best surf fishing is up around Melbourne, Sebastian to, say, Fort Pierce this time of year. And that's because you're getting a variety of big fish. The tarpon are up in there, bigger snooks, sorts of jacks. It's just a a real good time to be fishing, um, say, central to north Florida along the beach. Now, here in south Florida, we enjoy the snook fishery. The snook fishery... um, is really strong during pre-pod that's surf fishing pretty much at its finest where you can walk up and down um, pretty much any beach and you can find snooks right in the right in the surf and when i mean in the surf most of the fish that we're catching 80 percent of the snooks that we're catching down there are within the first 10 feet of shoreline um, when you walk into the water and you step into the ocean and there's a little trough there and it goes up to about your knee that is perfect scenario for catching beach snooks within 10 feet of the shoreline. They love to swim right up and down um, that trough. Also, the, the white bait gets in that trough pretty thick. Now, you don't necessarily have to have a ton of white bait in order to be successful. Like, for instance, two days ago, I walked down um, to North Fort Lauderdale Beach. And I get out of my car, get my fly rod ready, I start walking... I would say I had to walk for maybe mm, a little over half a mile. And I see some pelicans up in the distance a few hundred yards away. So 
I know that there's bait in the trough there. It's the first bait that I saw all day. And the water was beautiful. You could see really well. And trust me when I tell you, there wasn't a bait until I walked about a half mile. Now, at that point, the bait flooded into the trough, and I started seeing the snooks. I was able to get a pretty nice snook, probably a nine-pounder on a nine-weight, which to me is just, you know, as fun as it gets. Now, this kind of fishing is a non-discriminatory. Like, for instance, my method this year, um, 90% of the fishing that I did was fly fishing. Um, I've been gravitating t- more towards fly fishing the last, I don't know, eight to nine years. And for me, that's my method. But when I mean non-discriminatory, I mean whatever you are into, it'll work during this pre-pod action. For instance, if you're into throwing plugs, um, you can get any type of plug that would match a sardine or a pilchard or any type of these white baits. And if you're into throwing those types of plugs, that'll work great. Um, If you're like one of these salt strong guys or into the rubber baits, I would go with chartreuse and white olive and white or just white i don't know for whatever reason when you're fishing the um, shorelines white seems to be the key olive and chartreuse so um if you're a plug caster you can do that um if you're into live baiting which is by far the most effective way to totally crush um the fish in the surf is by live baiting you can simply go down there with a small cast net cast net your bait keep them live with a bubbler and a five gallon bucket Keep a bait in the water and eventually um, a snook tarpon jack barracuda um, will come by and get your your live bait. Now, this is not the time to bring your heavy gear, okay? Also, all the pre-pod fishing is done with either light or ultra-light tackle. And what I mean by that is the bait's small. So if you're going to throw something to mimic that kind of bait, you're going to need something small to make the presentation good enough in order to fool fish. Now, if you're live baiting, you're going to go with an ultralight rod, um, 20 to 30-pound test fluorocarbon. Use a super small hook, something that's compatible to the bait that you're using. You want your bait to be swimming in the surf, fairly natural. Therefore, you can trick the fish into eating your bait. Not rocket science, but I can't tell you how many people I see down there fishing pre-pod with a 10-foot surf rod, a 4-ounce weight with a 50-pound leader, and three clams on their hook. It's not the way to do it, guys. Go down there, light tackle. You can sabiki the bait. You can catch them with the cast net. Natural presentation, super light, small hooks, and there's nothing for the snooks to get you on out there anyway. It's all sand. So it's not like you need the heavy tackle. This is the time to go light, guys. I'm using a 9-weight fly rod. I could go down to an 8-weight if I wanted to. My buddy Drew, he's been crushing the Snooks tarpon uh, on the fly, in the surf, with an 8-weight. So time to stay ultralight. Keep the big stuff at home. The other thing when you're doing pre-pod or any type of beach fishing is don't over-tackle. Meaning don't go down there with 5 rods because you don't need 5 rods. Maybe 2 rods. One for sabiki, one for your bait. If you're going to use a cast net, then you only need one rod. And the reason you want to use one rod is because if the bait is a couple hundred yards down the shoreline, you don't want to have to huff all that stuff with you. You want to stay light. You want to stay nimble. You want to stay mobile. And you'll be extremely successful in pre-pod. So this is the end of the summer. Happy pre-pod. Go out there and enjoy it. And the more you enjoy it, the more you're going to be up to date on what's happening with the real pod, which would be the mullet that will start coming down the beach here in September. But I don't want to get too much into the mullet run yet because we'll do a whole nother episode on that and we're a little premature. But I do want to talk about this summer. 
And I know for a lot of you, it was brutally hot this summer. But for me, not so much. Now, let me explain. See, I'm a tarpon and snook guide for the most part. And my trips start in the afternoon and go into the evening, go into the dark. And this year here in South Florida, we experience what we call an El Nino. And the El Nino is this tropical weather that comes from Central America, comes across the Gulf, and it pretty much covers South Florida, especially, say, from Fort Myers south and all the way down or over to the Bahamas. And this El Nino thing, um, we're getting a lot of overcast. We're getting a lot of rain. Um, it'll often rain at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon real hard, and then the rest of the day will be overcast. And the fish absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. Clients, eh, they get a little freaked out because pretty much every day it, it thunderstorms pretty bad. And they're kind of excited for the trip and a little apprehensive, nervous, you know, whatever, butterflies, whatever you want to call it. And then it starts storming and lightning and they think they might have to cancel their trip and they get a little bit uptight. So I'd like to give them a text right as the thunderstorms start to happen and let them know that we actually need these thunderstorms because it's actually a good thing and the fish like it, and it'll cool down later in the night, which will make everything come together. And that was part of um, what I was talking about in the intro when I was saying that I've had one of my best winters this summer because instead of boiling hot in the afternoon when I'm catching bait, it's been overcast, it's been rainy, we've been enjoying the El Nino system that's been happening down here in South Florida. Not many people get to enjoy it, but as a tarpon and snook guide, it's been a nice break, and it kept us from baking like potatoes out there going into the second half of august september and october then we're in tropical storm and hurricane season okay now i don't wish anybody to get uh, a bad tropical storm or hurricane but it's part of the system and you'll often notice that when a decent tropical storm goes up and down the east coast of florida the fishing gets red hot before during and after um, a tropical storm and i think what's happening here well obviously what's happening here it shows the change of the seasons the water temperature starts to go down the bait starts to move um it's just like a trigger uh mother nature's trigger for all the fish to really start to to go um september comes we're in the middle of the hurricane season and storm doesn't even have to get close to south florida but it'll create that big groundswell and a groundswell will often um, fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Bring down the water temperature dramatically, and the fish will respond dramatically. They'll come flying from the north where the water temperature, say, is, you know, 78 degrees. And they'll come flying down south because the water temperature is much warmer, and this whole migration starts to happen. So we'll keep you posted. We'll keep you updated on the happy bait season that will be coming through between now and uh, November. But let me expound on this whole having the best winter this summer. Because often um, in the summer, we like to take a family trip um, to the Boston area. The reason we like to do the Boston area is because my dad's side of the family is from there. 
and we still have some uh, really good friends and relatives um, in the Boston area. Now, one of the uh, relatives I have, he's not really actually blood relative, but he's my dad's best friend's son um, who's really into fishing. He loves fly fishing. Um, He's got a really nice boat. He takes advantage of the summers up there in a little town called Hummerock. And this brings me all the way back to my roots, especially my fishing roots, because Gloucester and then Hummerock were the two places that my dad fished for bluefin tuna um, when I was just a child, before we even moved down here to South Florida in 1975. So the worm, my wife and I fly into Logan International, which is right downtown Boston, and we get off the plane, and it's kind of hot. I mean, like hotter than it was in Fort Lauderdale when we left, and we Decided to go through the city that day and walk around. So we're walking around the north end of Boston. We're walking around Faneuil Hall. We like to do that. And it is boiling hot. I mean, it's like 94 degrees. There's no wind. And it's a little bit of a drag trying to get around the city. We decided we were going to uh, walk through the aquarium down there that looks over the harbor. And you could tell that even the fish in the aquarium were struggling because of the hot temperatures but that only lasted one day you see from there we rented a little uh well i shouldn't say a little but we rented a beach house um, on hummerock beach that would hold my sister's family my family and my parents and then our cousins had houses um, right down the block from us so it's like a nice you know get together it's a good place to be and it's like brings back so many memories of you know my roots and one of the memories that i've had is it was always cold up there and sure enough as soon as we check into the beach house and we get down there the weather forecast says it's going to be 68 degrees now we haven't seen 68 degrees here in south florida since february now 68 the forecast said it was going to be cool the rest of the time i don't think that what i don't think the temperature got above 79 the whole time we were there and that's what i was telling you in the intro when i was saying i enjoyed my best winter this summer between el nino and this little cold streak we had when we went on our family vacation up north it was not exactly the hottest summer at least for me now i had three different fishing buddies during this summer trip where i had the best winter um I was fortunate enough to get to fish with my girl, um, Victoria Rose, the worm. Also, my nephew, Ryder, which is my sister's son, loves fishing. And Eric, who is the nuts and bolts of our whole summer vacation. And let me explain to you how that works. Eric's kind of old school. We fly into Logan International. He shows up, picks us up. Um, We didn't have to take an Uber or anything. He likes picking us up from the airport, so we start off the vacation right He knows my wife is going to want to go into the north end of Boston to act extra Italian, which is kind of the theme in the north end of Boston. I mean, that's where the old uh, Italians came in when they migrated in from Sicily, especially. They went to the north end of Boston, and it's always been had this huge Italian influence. Now, she has a favorite Italian restaurant there called the uh, Daily Catch. I took her there, shit, 30 years ago. Um, When I was doing some business up there, she loved the Daily Catch. She always wants to go back, and she gets extra Italian at her favorite restaurant, which I can't blame her because it's pretty much my favorite restaurant, too. The restaurants in the north end of Boston are some of the best in the world, and when we get in there, we can't wait to get in there and do our thing, and Eric makes sure it happens every single time. Now, after eating at your favorite restaurant, then 
I don't know who this guy Mike is in the North End, but he obviously has the best pastries because there's a line that goes around the corner for people that line up to get pastries, specifically cannolis, at this place called Mike's. He's not the only one that makes cannolis down there, but trust me when I tell you, when you go into the North End of Boston, the chances of you stopping by one of these places and getting a fresh cannoli is probably in the 99 percentile. The other things that were extra Italian this week in the North End is they were having a, an Italian festival for one of the saints, and it was extra festive and an extra amount of people down there. And if you haven't noticed, being extra Italian brings out the emotions in people. Now, most people think emotional when it comes to Italians is them like being overbearing, talking too loud as a form of communication, and that kind of thing. But emotions go a lot of different ways. And my wife in Victoria, the worm, they got emotional down there in the North End. They were browsing and doing some window shopping, and they saw the horns in the window, the Italian horns. So Victoria decides that she's going to go in and get a nice horn for Stephen Busaka, the world's favorite millennial. So the emotions run wild. She goes in there. She feels like it's, it's a thing to do. She gets the Italian horn. She puts it aside as a gift, and then she also gets an Italian T-shirt. Why? Because you get extra emotional down there in the North End being all that Italian and everything. So let it be known that the world's favorite millennial, Stephen Busaka, is now sporting the piss out of a brand new red Italian horn. So make sure you reach out to Busaka and congratulate him on his horn. I didn't mean to get sidetracked like that, but the whole Italian story is worth telling. Is worth telling. But anyway, my cousin Eric, the nuts and bolts of the whole operation here, um, now he really makes it pleasant. Um, for, for multiple reasons. One, he's my fishing buddy. He's been my fishing buddy since I can remember, all the way back into the 70s. Um, we've been able to stay in contact. Our families love each other. We spend a lot of time. We're always doing fishing trips. The guy was with me on my wedding day. Um, the day before, we caught a blue marlin, and it goes even deeper than that. Our parents used to fish together. They were fishing buddies, and I was actually went fishing with his granddaddy down there in uh, New England. So long heritage of fishing buddies down there for me. Now, Eric's got all the tackle that you could ever want, so I can travel extremely light. I roll in there with absolutely nothing. Homeboy's got fly rods for me. He's got a 18-foot maritime skiff for me. He's got a 33-walk-around salt shaker for me. He gets the skinny on all the fishing action, where the bait is, where the bait isn't. He keeps tabs on the blue fins and where they are up there, and he keeps tabs on the striped bass fishing. So the setup is absolutely beautiful, unbelievable, and, and I'm lucky to have it. So on this trip, it was the focus was basically on fishing with family. And um, my sister's kid, Ryder, he's like the God's gift for hope because it's kids like him that um, are going to carry on the fishing tradition. Now this kid, he can't help himself. Whether he's trying to catch fish, lizards, snakes, he's always trying to catch something. And he's the kid that walks down the dock... And you have to keep him busy fishing because it's in his DNA. And I'm not sure how that works, but one out of 100 kids or one out of 50 kids, one out of 30 kids, whatever it is, has this thing in them where they can't not not fish. And Ryder's one of them. So first thing we want to do is we want to get Ryder set up so we can do some extreme marine fishing. And marina fishing um, has always been starting place for all good fishermen. You start in the marina catching what you can, and Ryder does just that. So while Ryder was there, he starts smoking the striped bass that are hanging out underneath the docks at the marina. Um, 
he's learning how to throw sluggos and these other rubber baits and he's really doing a good job there's a bridge over there you get some nice stripers underneath the bridge and all this is happening in this little river they have a river system that's kind of similar to here in Fort Lauderdale the way RICW runs along but they have a river that goes along they have a beach and then the ocean's on the other side of the beach and just like here in Fort Lauderdale um, intercoastal waterway they have a river that you can fish now, the river has about a 12-foot tide, though. <laughs> totally different than down here. The place has sawgrass-like stuff, seagrass, whatever you want to call it. Um, these big marshes with canals in them, these sand flats, and then they have these big rocky cliffs with these drop-offs. I mean, it's really fascinating to see and really fun to fish. And the striped bass, um, from real small guys to giant ones, are hanging around all through um, this area in New England. So Ryder took advantage of the whole situation. He caught fish in the river. Some of these sessions in the river were absolutely phenomenal. Like, for instance, at the certain tide on the sand flats in the river, you can catch these striped bass that are very similar to like catching a bonefish. You can actually sight cast them as they're coming up on these uh, shallow sand flats. So sure enough, Eric, Ryder, and I are just kind of floating in the tide and going over the sand flat and sure enough you could see these striped bass and they're in approximately I don't know a foot and a half to two foot of water and they come across the flat and they look very similar to a bonefish a little bit easier to see not quite as spooky a lot more cooperative but man was it a lot of fun to sight cast these small stripers both with the fly rod and with the sluggos so you see the striper coming you lead them you put it in front of them you watch the eat mm, just like with catching bonefish so beside the huge fish that Ryder caught, that was a big part of the um, excitement for the week fishing in the river. He caught fish in the ocean. Eric took him to a spot down by Boston where the kid whacked like a 45-inch um, striper. Um, according to him, it was the biggest fish of his life. I think I remember taking him to catch a tarpon when he was much smaller that was bigger than that. But at the time, it was the biggest fish in his memory. It was truly a magic moment. And thanks to Eric, all this stuff can happen. Now, Victoria, the worm, she's been taken to the fly fishing. Um, she caught a nice tarpon on fly this summer. And while we were down there, uh, she texted me. She said, hey, Dad, do you think we can get out and throw the fly? And then she said, but just me and you, though. And I said to Eric, I said, hey, do you mind if I take the 18-foot maritime out? Worm wants to go throw the fly around. So we go out there. And like I told you, it was cold up there. Um, it's a little rainy, a little cold. And we go around to this one grass flat where we've been seeing some fish. And eh, we kind of get starting to get rained out. So I wiggle way up this little grass creek. Um, it's marsh on both sides of this. And it's an absolutely beautiful area. And I just wanted her to get out of the wind so she could throw the fly a little bit. And, um, you know, the more she throws, the better she's going to be. And, and, and to get it out of her system. And sure enough, the worm, being as lucky as she is, she smokes a nice little bass on an eight weight and totally made her day and mine too and it was really good to have that father-daughter moment and especially in a place where I had moments like that with my dad and my uncles and my cousins and now I'm doing it with my nephew and my kid and I just can't thank Eric enough for making it all happen and then just in case all that stuff wasn't good enough and exciting Eric is friends with that TV producer and outdoor star, Jeff Corrin. Jeff took the trip 
with us down towards Boston to fish for big stripers on the day that Ryder got his big fish. So not only was Ryder fortunate enough to get a trophy fish like that, it was really cool for him and for me to be around this Jeff Corwin guy, a real dude, a pleasure to be with, and really knew his shit about uh, striper fishing and the outdoors down there. Now, Jeff, um, you know, he's a big advocate for clean water, and it was weird being down there with him because I can remember when we were kids in Boston Harbor, Hummerock Beach, wasn't exactly filled with fish, especially stripers. There was a lot of pollution at the time. Um, there was a lot of red tides, a lot of warnings about bacterial levels. And what was happening is the same phenomenon that's happening down here in South Florida is they had infrastructure problems. They were dumping sewage into the ocean. Um, they really had their issues. And it's a small win in the fight for clean water, but that Boston area is doing really well, and the striper fishing is thriving, and people are having... Well, they're doing recreational activities that they didn't think that they were going to be able to do. For instance, when I lived there, and when I would visit the beaches when I was a kid, catching a striped bass was almost out of the question. And now they're everywhere. And it's a small success story on what you can do if you help the environment help itself. Unfortunately, here in Fort Lauderdale, and all of Florida for that matter, at Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. We haven't learned our lesson yet as far as how bad the water quality is. I got back from doing that Boston trip, and I put the boat in the water and went down the intercoastal waterway and started to catch bait. The only thing I could think of was that I just saw more pollution in the water in 200 yards in Fort Lauderdale than I saw in 200 miles from Providence to Gloucester. And I got punched right in the face with reality. In less than one week of being back from that Boston trip, there was a giant fish kill down in Sunny Isles. A huge sewage leak in Crandon down at Key Biscayne, where they had to get everybody out of the water because the water was too toxic to swim in. I personally witnessed two sewage pipes here in Fort Lauderdale pouring it right into the intercoastal waterway. And then just this morning, our bait could not survive as we were fishing the canals right here around the Las Olas Isles. I've been fishing these aisles for 40 years, and I've never had my bait die in these particular areas. You see, what's happening right now is in the back canals all through Florida. There's no tidal flow, and the bacteria levels and the algae are taking over everything and making it where nothing can survive. This is not rocket science, folks. There's ways to clean up the water. There is just no will. There's no leadership taking us there. I'll give you a great example. If your swimming pool that's in your backyard, which is a pool of water surrounded by concrete, if you didn't take care of that and filter that and make sure that water didn't become stagnant, it too would become toxic where nothing could live in it. 
So what's the difference between a pool of water in your swimming pool and a pool of water behind your backyard if you have concrete on both sides of the canal for miles and miles and miles? No different than a swimming pool. We overdeveloped that. Now we have to maintain the water that goes in there. Instead of maintaining the water and making sure that we filter the water and clean the water and make sure the bacteria levels are where they need to be, where people won't get sick and fish can live, we do the opposite. We drain all our trash from the streets in there. We let our sewage infrastructure leak and go into the same canal system with no way of cleaning it up. And we are developing more seawalls every single day. So make no bones about it. We are losing the fight for clean water down here in South Florida. Measure it like this. Take a piece of paper. On one side of the piece of paper, write down everything that's happening right now that would help clean the water. And then on the other side of the page, write down everything that's happening right now that makes the water gross. And don't believe the Banana Republic when they tell you that there's not enough money in the system to fix these problems or that they don't know what to do. The cities, the counties, the states, the federal government should all be ashamed of themselves when they look at how much money they waste on irrelevant things that make no difference. If they would spend just 10% of the time working on cleaning up the water as opposed to what they do with identity politics, this shit would be done in six months. I have not heard any common sense solutions from any part of the government about anything that would help clean up the water. We need to quit celebrating these little pieces of legislation that we get done as we lose the fight. Like, you can make a law for anything, but if nobody enforces the friggin' laws, then what good does it do anybody? We need a leader. We need a leader that will do whatever it takes in order to win this fight. And right now, we don't have one. Not one. And we're going to go into an election season where we're going to hear all sorts of proposals about all sorts of crap. But I guarantee you, we won't get a proposal, a solid proposal, that has a whole bunch of options on how we can clean up the water. I can guarantee you that this election season, not one politician will give you that. And the reason they're not going to give you that is because we just don't have enough people shouting at the top of our lungs that that's what we need and that's what we want. And I would like to encourage all the environmental foundations to focus and come together. And regardless of your short-term goals, our number one priority should be to recruit more people that vote. Not necessarily more money, but more people. Then maybe we can swing the barometer a little bit our way. We have to demand simple, make-sense solutions to clean the water. It's not that difficult. It's filtration and infrastructure. It's not rocket science, and it's not undoable, and it's not unaffordable. I guarantee you one thing. They're not running around Iowa right now caucusing, talking about how to clean up the water. But maybe one day, they will. This is Captain Jeff, and I really appreciate you guys listening to this week's episode of the Real Guy Podcast. And always, run that dog.